0: This episode of the Leading Me Legendary Podcast is brought to you by Vinyl Me Please. Join their Record of the Month Club at www.joinvmp.com slash LABL. Let me live by my dream. Let me live out this what I intended to be. If you got on me, then I can probably see what well, my success is not what you expected of be? But me live out my drink. so let me live out my all right check 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 y'all tuned in to another episode of the leading be legendary podcast or aka labl podcast I'm your host name tag Alexander make sure y'all check us out on social media that's at labl music on both Twitter and Instagram or just leading be legendary on Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Alexander. It's a little different with the spelling on Twitter. That's at A L X N D R. And then just like the fan page on Facebook for sure. Definitely plan on releasing some new music soon. Um, also, be sure to grab the Hello Victory EP, which is available on all streaming platforms, you know, like Spotify, Apple Music, whatever platform suits you best. Um we got the instrumental version out as well, uh, me and Black Beethoven. That's also available across all the platforms. Make sure you order some merch off the website. That's leadingbelegendary.net, if I didn't say it a second ago. Um, we got T-shirts. We got hats. We got the hoodies. Just make sure you grab something. Rock you know, rock with the brand. I brought somebody special on. I did it a little different. Normally, I do the intro, and then the guest is like right there, here in the intro. But I did it a little different this time. Might plan on doing it that way going forward. Anyway... Music supervisor from Detroit, Michigan, Nicole Churchill of Assemble Sound. Definitely a staple in the city. This episode is very informative. If you are a songwriter or even a composer and you're looking to get your music placed in TV and film, if that's like a route that you're looking to go, such as myself, I've managed to get a few tracks placed with the help of Nicole uh, through Assemble Sound. One of my tracks that I got placed before even linking with them was Play to Win. This was back in 2015 where it made it onto ESPN First Take. From there, I got on there again with a track called Mind of a Champion. That was on ESPNU. It was for like the season of lacrosse. Then from there, I ended up linking with Nicole Churchill. Like I say, she managed to get me on a online television series. It was a comedy called The Hug It Out. Uh, it was just called Hug It Out. It was a, a series or whatever. Very funny. Very hilarious. It was about a lady that was literally a professional snuggler. That's on Vimeo. You can check that out. I think the website, I could be wrong, It's either HugItOut.com or HugItOutSeries.com. Anyway, I'm getting winded. They also managed to get me placed in Little Caesars Arena, the Blue Cross Blue Shield suite, with once again, play to win. And that was getting played through the, uh, I'm not sure if it was the, it it should be the NBA season. I had to follow back up with Nicole just to be sure. Anyway, that's a route that I've been trying to take on as of late, just getting a lot of my music licensed in in television and, and film, possibly video games, you know, and advertisement. However, if you're an artist and that's your aim and that's something that you're trying to also add to, you know, along with touring and selling merch and, you know, just generally releasing the music, of course, this is the episode for you. So... Definitely take notes. We included a link in the description where you can uh, check out the Symbol Sound website and how you can get in contact with Nicole or members of Assemble Sound. That's in the description, so make sure you check that out. Anyway, we're going to get right into this episode. Like I say, songwriters, composers, or anybody that's just looking to be in the music entertainment industry and you're trying to figure out what routes to take on getting the music you know, placed in TV and film, because it's not always guaranteed, but you know, it's informative. You need to know. So if this is what you're trying to get involved with, this is the episode to check out. Take notes. Let's get into it. So before, I guess what we have you do first is just go ahead and uh, just, you know, drop it can find you at online.
1: Okay. Um, I think it's really just at Assemble Sound on everything on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's just all at Assemble Sound. Um, okay. Yeah. My, my personal isn't really attached. I don't really social media outside of Assemble anyways, so... Yeah, at Assemble Sound for all forms.
0: Perfect, perfect. Being that you're a music supervisor, if you could just break down for the people listening, like what exactly, the career description, has to say, what exactly does a music supervisor do?
1: Yeah, for sure. A music supervisor is sort of equal parts creative and equal parts a lot of paperwork and budget handling. So a lot of people think, oh, music supervisor, your job's so easy. You just sit around and listen to music all day. And that's maybe like 50% of the gig. Um, So I will sit with a director or a creative producer and help pick all the songs that they're going to use in their project. For the most part, I work on film and television, but I'll get brought into advertising once in a while as well. And so we do all the music selection. and the way that we find music is always based on the budget of the production. So the amount of money that my client has to spend will determine where I go to find the songs. So if it's like a really low budget project, I'll go to like music libraries, like production company libraries that make like, you know, production quality music. And then as the budgets go up, then I can go to indie artists, indie labels, indie publishers. And then if they have a really significant budget, we'll source music from like the majors. Um, So that's part of it. You find your tracks, then you sit with your budget and a huge overwhelming spreadsheet and you figure out what every single song costs. And then you go through a second round of song selection because ultimately you end up having to replace like 35% of the tracks that you initially wanted to use. So Mm. then you have to go back to those production music libraries and you're like, "Hey, what do you have that sounds like Beyonce?" Because I can't afford Beyonce <laughs> right with my $25,000 overall production budget. I think like a typical rule of thumb and I don't know how true this like still is today, but a typical rule of thumb is if you take like your overall budget on your project. so if the film total budget is a million dollars, then usually five to 10 percent. Should be what was budgeted for music. So, you know, five to 10% of $20,000 or five to 10% of $20 million is a huge difference. A huge difference, right? So that's why you see like big major label artists being placed in big like blockbuster Marvel films because those budgets are outrageous. And then rarely do you hear like Coldplay or Beyonce synced in an indie film because they usually don't have the budgets. And that's why it's really cool for independent artists to sort of use that opportunity to leverage themselves for exposure because all, there's a ton of independent artists out there that would be happy to take independent film budgets, you know, but you know, a lot of major artists won't take those. So it created sort of this pocket for indie artists to really pay attention to sync licensing because I think they were really quick to realize that the budgets are going down and there's a lot of opportunity. So I guess being a music supervisor, you're trying to like create those opportunities for those independent artists and also like make the most of the budget that your client has. And then the last part of being a music supervisor is the clearance, which is just like the boring legal paperwork aspect, making (laughs) sure like you know, every single co-writer, every single writer is accounted for their performing rights organization is listed with their IPI numbers uh, so that they can make their royalties. And even if they own 2% of a song, make sure that they get listed on that cue sheet document that's going to go to the production so that they can get their royalties. So just making sure like all of the writer information and publishing information is together so that everybody can make their money.
0: What well, most artists would probably consider like the boring part.
1: Totally. I also, but the
0: necessary part part, though, (laughs) but it's so necessary. Um, so just as far as that being your career, like what made you choose that? When did you say, Well, you know, this is what I want to do?
1: So I didn't really ever decide that this is what I wanted to do. (laughs) I kind of just got thrown into it because I didn't know that being a music supervisor was a career ever. I had no idea that I'm, you know, in Michigan, growing up in Michigan. If there isn't a big film or entertainment industry. So these opportunities you're not taught about in school, you know, right. they teach you how to be a doctor or a lawyer or like lawyer, whatever else, but police yeah, officer, they don't tell you about other like creative avenues. Um, I've always really loved music and seeing live shows, but like I have, I can't dance. I have no rhythm. I like can't, <laughs> can't play an instrument to save my life. So it's kind of like that old saying, like those who can't do teach, so it's like I couldn't play anything, but I could find a home for it. So um, I used to like listen to music and um, think like, oh, wow, that song would be so good. And like a driving scene in a movie, like every song I would hear on the radio, I would think about like where I would want to put it in a movie scene or a TV show. Um, so I went to college and I got a degree in like, communications. And then I moved to Los Angeles when I graduated. I, to be honest, I, I like chased a boyfriend out there. I like, I, <laughs>
0: that's how it usually happens. Dude, I that's, didn't... A, that's usually the story.
1: Yeah. <laughs> totally chased a dude out to LA. My best friend lived there, too, so I stayed with her. And um, I got really lucky. I got an internship with Fox Searchlight on the lot, on the film studio lot. Um, But unfortunately for me, like I was super stoked about it because I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to be working in the entertainment industry. And then I quickly realized that it was a it was a marketing, creative marketing internship, which I thought was creative. But really, it was like all finance. Um, But my supervisor was really cool and he knew I had like no business working in a financial position, even if it was (laughs) like uh, an unpaid internship. Um, And he noticed that I was really taking advantage of my time in LA by going to see shows all the time. Cause LA is like a ton of venues in one concentrated area. And I would come into my internship on Monday morning, like bragging about what bands I saw. And one day pulled me into his office and he pointed at the corner shelf. And there was probably a stack of like 400, 500 CDs just sitting there still in the classic. Wow. And they had all come from record labels and publishers and independent artists and, Uh, Independent labels, just any libraries, anywhere you can think of. And he didn't have time or interest or patience to go through and copy everything over to the Fox Searchlight server and listen to things. And he's like, you like music. You're not going to do finance anymore. You're just going to listen to all that music. You're going to read all the scripts for all the movies that we're marketing for Fox Searchlight. And I want you to tag songs that have lyrical significance to themes in the movies that we're about to start promoting. Um, and I did that for like three months. And then I learned, oh, that's what a music supervisor does. So then I was like, basically, yeah, So I like, <laughs> I'm going to make it my goal in life to do this for a living. Um, and then basically, like every job that I had after that was sort of just like stepping stones to get me into a position where I could be a full time music supervisor.
0: Is that part difficult? Like not the listening to the music piece, but just reading those scripts and having to find, like you, like you said, the lyrical significance to matching the song with that scene in the movie is that difficult to do
1: yeah it's really difficult to do and the way to make it easier is if it's a specific director of a film if you know because a lot of times I would get the scripts with all of the producer and director director photography cast information so what I would do is I would actually go back and do homework by watching movies that those directors have made to get a feel for their style and then with that information in mind it was much easier to like attack the music because I know wow. like Wes Anderson, Fantastic Mr Fox, that was like one of the first films that I worked on. And I know Wes Anderson has like a really really significant style. So I was able to like go back and watch all of his other movies, and then knowing what the budget was and knowing sort of the lyrical themes or, that they were looking for, I was able to, like, source music probably more strategically. Um, then there's also times where you're working on, like, an independent project. The director is going to be really, really, really hands-on. So you're sitting there in the room with the director and with the editor, um, and they'll tell you right off the bat, like, this is a terrible song idea. You suck at your job. Or they'll be like, this is Man. great. <laughs> yeah, you really get me. So, I don't know, it, it's it's difficult, but it makes it really, really fun at the
0: same time. I can imagine that. That's all. I was wondering that, why, as you were saying it, like, okay, I want to do the directors ever say, like, no, this this song just doesn't match. Why would you pick this? Like, has that ever happened? But you kind of just answered it for me. Um, You mentioned just working for Fox, if I'm not mistaken, but also I kind of just did some research just going to the LinkedIn Uh and it also mentions Sony kind of like talk a little bit about that like as far as you
1: working for them yeah, so um, my my time at Fox was really limited because it was just a uh, four-month internship program. So Uh-oh. when I finished, you know, they kind of just, like, they don't help you get a job. Your internship doesn't automatically guarantee you a job at Fox. So I had to find another position. Um, and, at, like, right place at the right time, Sony was hiring. They, it was Sony ETV owns a company called Extreme Music. And it's back, it's, like, kind of taking it back to what we started talking about, like production music libraries. They're like mm-hmm. also known as like Muzak makers. Um, okay. So they had a library. It's like a catalog of about 50,000 songs all made by producer or I'm sorry, composers like Hans Zimmer um, and uh, Quincy Jones and Exhibit and Snoop Dogg. They had these like crazy award-winning um, people who were creating music for their catalog. And then they were pitching it to be used for television and video games and advertising and film. The, um, owner, the CEO had just sold his company to Viacom and Sony ATV bought it from Viacom and they were starting to like staff their LA office. So I actually applied for a position to be the executive assistant of the CEO and then after about six months, he was like, "You are much better suited in my music department. Go and support our in-house music supervisor." So
0: wow.
1: I got really lucky. He just knew that I was more uh, more useful to him than like walking his dog, um, which is great because I really hated picking up his dry cleaning so <laughs> much. So much. You don't. You really get to know someone on a personal level when you pick up their dry cleaning. Um, And I hated doing that stuff. So anyways, I got promoted and my job was to, I was like a junior music supervisor. I was assisting the main music supervisor. What he was doing was a little bit of A&R. So reaching out to unsigned artists to see if they would be interested in selling their songs to this catalog. Um, Okay. My personal opinion is that it was not an artist friendly deal, but what they would do is they would pay artists $500 a song. To own it into a perpetuity, so the only thing that that artist would get is five hundred dollars off the top. Five hundred,
0: uh-huh. yikes!
1: They would keep their writer share, but a lot of these artists were not registered with the Performing Rights Organization because they're unsigned, oh, and so man. they would spend you know a hundred bucks to register just to get five hundred dollars, and then they would maintain the uh, Extreme Music would allow the artist to keep their writer share. Oh my goodness! So anytime that the songs get used, the artists did make their royalty money for their writer share, but that's Off the writer, but not publishing. And that's what the
0: mechanical, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. okay. The syn-
1: syncless, synchronization. Yeah. So, um, so I helped him with A&R and help try to recruit artists. I would be interested in that, but I sort of, Like had a bad taste in my mouth about doing it because i knew that the artists were kind of getting ripped off so what i did was i only targeted artists that had like huge catalogs of music so a buyout you know 500 bucks a pop on a couple of songs when they have a hard drive of like over 100 songs it's it's okay but for an emerging artist that you know has spent a ton of production costs in the studio they have an ep they're holding on to it they want to like wait for a good opportunity I didn't really feel comfortable approaching those artists to pay them five hundred bucks for their song for this catalog, so um, I was able to kind of like do it my way, a way that I could like sleep with myself at night. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so that's what I did it at Sony. Um, and then it got to a point, I worked there for like three years, two and a half years. And it got to a point where I was handling all of the inbound search requests. So um, I would do a r to find music to upload into this catalog. And then I would also have the music supervisor clients reach out to me. So the film studios, the television studios, the production companies, advertising agencies, video game editors, they would reach out to us and we would source music directly from this catalog and then pitch it to them. And then after like two and a half years of doing that, I got sort of like... I don't know, burnt out a little bit because. Overwhelmed. Yeah, well, you just, you know, you constantly get these really cool videos and scripts and projects sent to you and you make a playlist from one resource and you send it out, but you never know what their feedback is on it. And exactly. you never know what they like, what they don't like, why. You're not in the room with them. You're not making the decision. So um, a client of Extreme Musics was a company that did creative advertising for film. They're they're called trailers, right? So the trailer vendor um, was hiring a music supervisor, and I took the jump to go back to that side because I wanted to be in the room with the producers and the editors and the directors, helping them pick the music. And I wanted to go to all of the extreme musics out there and ask them for music, and then inboard it, and then listen to it, and and comb through it, and sit with the editor and watch them like place different songs in the same scene and get a feel for why they didn't like stuff and um, I did that for two years and then I moved to Detroit to do it here.
0: Yeah. Cause that, that leaves me perfect to my next question. because yeah. I was just going to speak for listeners of the lead and be legendary podcast. Vinyl me, please. Is a vinyl record of the month club. One of the dopest record clubs. In fact, every month vinyl me, please. Features one album that is essential to the modern vinyl collection and sends it out to thousands of members worldwide. So basically what's done is they celebrate one dope vinyl record every month and deliver an exclusive pressing of it right to your door. They'll also include an original 12 by 12 album inspired artwork and and a cocktail recipe to sweeten the deal even more. What else is included? You get special edition vinyl records you're not going to get anywhere else. Flat out. Get it? Because vinyl was flat. All right, whatever. When they say special edition, it means exactly that. Vinyl Me works closely with both the record label and artists to come up with something you actually can't find anywhere else. So I'm talking colored vinyl, custom lyric books, exclusive artwork, personal notes from the artists, and much more. The only thing that you won't have a surprise for each month is how much you end up just vibing to the music, obviously though. As far as the membership, it has flexible and easy memberships that work for you. We know that trusting someone else, well, I guess that kind of depends on who they are, but... Trusting someone else to curate or, let's just say, put together your record collection can turn out kinda whack. You've had your whole life to fine tune your taste, and we certainly don't wanna get in the way of that. That's why they have swaps. At Vinyl Me Please, with swaps, you can exchange a feature record with one from the VMP archive or a limited set of store titles. This way, even though you're trying new things, you won't be forced to take a title you already have or know in advance it isn't right for you. That plus, there's no contract, no strings, no guilt trips, you really can cancel at any time. There's no hidden fees either. And most importantly, top shelf customer service to make sure you get the answers and help you need as soon as humanly possible. To join their record club, go to www.joinvmp.com LABL. Again, that's www.joinvmp.com LABL to join Vinyl Me Please today. The link is in the episode's description. A symbol sound like that to me, I see that, and I'm sure other artists can say the same, is a staple here in the city. Um, Thank you. If you can explain just how that, no problem, if you can explain how that came about, like that whole foundation.
1: Yeah, so uh, I moved, I left LA uh, June of 2014. And when I moved back to Detroit, I was just trying to network and meet anybody that was doing something in the music industry. And I quickly found that, there were not a lot of people because there's not really much of an industry. The music is here. The talent is here. The studios are here. The, it's, it's insane. And there aren't a yeah. lot of like in industry. So a lot of a common trend was everybody I was meeting with? It's like, you gotta talk to this guy, Garrett Kohler. Garrett Kohler, he's starting something. He did X Games work. You should talk to him. He wants to do a recording studio, nonprofit recording studio. I'm like, I have no bit interest doing working a nonprofit recording studio. <laughs> I wanna like represent local. Artists for the same industry opportunities that local artists in Nashville get and local artists in California get like I want to bring those opportunities to local artists here because the talent is here and it's not fair that the talent here feels like they have to move to those major market cities just because the in the industry opportunities aren't here. So why not just bring them here. Um, so I took everybody's advice and I got coffee with Garrett Kohler and Seth Anderson. They had already decided to be partners start something called Assemble Sound and have a nonprofit recording studio operated out of a church. And then tie it in with residency programming where you have, you know, twenty-five artists who have free access to the space that write, record, and collaborate together. And they were thrilled to meet me because they learned very quickly that licensing could be a great way to fund a nonprofit recording studio. Because even if you're offering a free residency program in a nonprofit recording studio, you still have to pay DTE.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know? Exactly. So they were like, oh, great, you can be the money aspect of what we want to do. And I was like, great, you can help me establish clout to my name and help artists, like, feel comfortable talking to me because – Nobody knew who I was. I didn't live here. I hadn't lived here for like 11 years.
0: For years, right.
1: And I'm also sort of representing the man in a way. And I think that that like rubs artists the wrong way if if they're not accustomed to talking about licensing because like traditionally, you know, even up until like the early 2000s, licensing was equal to selling out. You know, oh, you put your song in a Doritos commercial. You're a sellout, or you know, whatever the case may be. And I'm, in, I'm
0: experiencing that now, honestly, really? with the recent project that I put out. they're like, yo, tag, this is not, and it's not. I wasn't too far removed from the music I normally do, and they heard bits and pieces of it in previous music. But when I did a full project like that, it's like, hey, this is not. Normally what you do, like you I'm like, it's 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 bigger than what you think. It's like Yeah, it's still that same mindset. Like they think, Oh, he's selling out, he's trying to make it's like, no, it's like it's this is a career. Yeah. And I'm trying to continue to sustain that. So
1: it's all about being, you know, like a professional musician. I think the definition of that goes two ways. A lot of people think professional musician, that means somebody who's on the road, on tour, that's like super successful. They're on the radio, they're on MTV, whatever. But really a successful musician is just somebody who doesn't have to be a pizza delivery driver, doesn't have to work a nine to five and then reserve all their studio time at night. They're doing licensing, they're selling merch, they're creating a label, they're basically doing all the things that you are doing. (laughs) you know, finding ways to create a brand that's sustainable, that they work on full time. And it's not just about like being on tour year round, you know, there's so many other avenues. And I think like a big goal of Assemble Sounds is to, we joke a lot, we call them middle class musicians, you know, not trying to like make promises to get anybody rich, that would be great. But if you can pay your bills, save a little bit of money on the music that you're making, and let that creativity be like your goal. um, There's Nothing selling out about it you know? i like
0: that actually middle class musician yeah, <laughs> I, like yeah. I mean like, I like an upper
1: class musician would be great too but you know you're paying your bills you're saving money and you can afford to be in the studio you know during the daytime you don't have to get home from work at six seven o'clock try to get food and then be in the studio all night till two, three in the morning and then do it all over again. Cause a lot of people get really burned out by that. Absolutely. You can't put your most creative foot forward when you know, you're burning the candle on both ends all the time. So just like trying to create, um, sustainability for musicians. And, um, so it was great to be able to partner with the guys that assembled because it wasn't just like this girl coming in and talking about, Hey, let me represent your music and I'm going to take a cut of it, you know, and you're going to be on TV. I think a lot of people shied away from that. So what we had to do was for sync licensing, the industry standard for artists, like for anybody that is listening and is interested in like Getting their music represented. They're, they're going to listen. I'm yeah. going to make them listen. I'm <laughs> saying this to
0: every artist that I know. Yeah. <laughs> every
1: artist. Well, a lot of people will offer uh, an exclusive 50 50 deal, which means that they're the only company that can represent your music for licensing because it's exclusive. And they're going to take 50% of all of the money that comes through the door for your song. So, Fifty percent upfront on the on the fee. So we were talking about budget before, and we we're talking about how like productions have a certain amount of money budgeted for music. So that's the upfront cost, and mm-hmm. then the, the back end money are coming in in your royalty checks. So licensing agencies traditionally take fifty percent of the upfront, and then fifty percent of your publishing on the back end too. Um, we had no we weren 't trying to get rich off of licensing we 're trying to be able to sustain a nonprofit studio and residency right. program. so what we did was we sort of modified it a little bit. We offer a non exclusive deal, which means that you can go ahead and work with any other company that you want that offers licensing as long as it 's also non exclusive and then we made our deal a little bit more artist friendly we offered a forty sixty deal. Um, So we take 40 percent off the top of any like upfront money that comes in and we take zero percent of the publishing royalties, which means the artists take 60 percent of that money that comes in off the top and then they keep 100 percent of their publishing royalties. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And that's and there is no I mean, it's my opinion, but there is no reason for a licensing company to be. Profiting off of publishing royalties. I think it's really inappropriate. So
0: yeah, I just had someone ask me that uh, question uh, When I informed him that I was going to be interviewing you and he asked me um, Do you think there's music supervisors or just companies like that that actually do this? I couldn't really give him a direct answer. I knew there were exclusive companies But you pretty much just nailed it by answering that. So yeah, that helps
1: and and just to speak to that really quickly I'm not going to name any names, but there is another company in Detroit that's been offering licensing services, not exclusively to local artists. They represent artists from all over the world, but they were only offering, they do the 50-50 deal. So they do 50% of your publishing and 50% of the upfront, Um, Mm -hmm. but they were only offering exclusive deals until about two years ago. Um and Assemble Sound started offering non exclusive deals. And now if you're an artist getting spoken to by them or getting courted, I should say by them, they won't offer you a non exclusive deal. But if you ask for it, they will know. And that is something that they never offered. Wow. And never did. <laughs> yeah, until we came along. So it's 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 kind of a good thing to sort of like shine a light on, you know artists having all the information and knowing that, yeah, that a 360 deal for labels was a really traditional model. And you don't, yeah. hear, you don't hear about 360 deals anymore. There's a reason for that. Like the industry is evolving and artists can be way more independent and take way more control over their intellectual property in a way that like they couldn't before. Exactly. So, you know, you got to stick with the times.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. Because I've been pitched a couple of times from a, exclusive companies through email just based on them seeing my, my, my small resume of getting placements, but it's, and, and immediately it's like, and it's an exclusive deal. And I'm like, Nope, no, no. Thanks. absolutely not. No. no. Yeah.
1: <laughs> nope. Yeah. <Sorry>. And, <laughs> and honestly turning those opportunities down is only positive for you. You know, you're not, you're not missing out on anything. You're just making positive choices for yourself. Because you the,
0: the thing that they do is is pretty much the way they pitch it is like well, with a non exclusive is not exactly guaranteed that they can get your music plays with us. we have a track record we get, and it goes back to what you were stating It's really all based on what the director or the people behind the film decides to you yeah, there's
1: no guarantees the only guarantee I guess what they're trying to say, and they're wording it very poorly. <laughs> what, they're, what they're trying to say is, if we represent you not exclusively then we are incentivized to really, really go to bat for you. Um, we're going to work really, really hard. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good your relationships are, or how hard you drive a song down somebody's throat. If it doesn't work for picture and another song does, then that's the end goal. And right. so I just think that that's kind of like a, a very old fashioned way of approaching it.
0: Now, one, one thing I wanted to ask you, so let's say an artist wants to reach out uh, through email mm-hmm. to submit for licensing opportunities. Just break down the proper way sure. of what they would need, how they would need to send this email. Like, what should be included if they're trying to, hey, listen, I'm, I heard you guys, you know, plays music. I'm trying to get involved in that. And here's hear some music. How would they go about submitting that to you?
1: Okay, so I... I've talked to a lot of music supervisors about this, and I've been on a lot of panels, and this is a very, very like commonly asked question. So this is not just like, my answer is not just me personally, but I think it's like pretty consistent for music supervisors across the board. Um, first of all, in your email, don't write a novel because we're really busy and we're not. We're it's just it's not going to be read. So keep the body of your email really, really, really concise and to the point. Like I like the work that you did on blah blah blah. Or I heard about you from whatever source. I'm excited to pitch my music. If, if you have a song, like do your research depending on who you're it doesn't hurt like to do your research, depending on who you're reaching out to. So if you're reaching out to a specific music supervisor that always works on a certain type of films, you know, pitch them appropriate music. Don't just send your entire catalog, try to make it like pointed and like strategic, you know, don't pitch, uh, your, your, your hip hop record to a music supervisor who only works on like family friendly, indie rock stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like (laughs) make sure that your pitch is appropriate. um, And that's actually a good thing. If you do have explicit lyrics in your music, make sure that a clean version is always available. You don't necessarily have to send it, but they're always gonna ask for it. So if you're gonna send anything with with explicit lyrics, make sure that there's a clean version. Um, So keep the body of the email pretty concise and to the point and always send links. Attachments are rarely accepted. Um, usually people want to send like their highest resolution WAV file and it doesn't have metadata on it and they don't have contact oh, information. So <laughs> if you have to, have to, have to send an attachment, make sure it's an MP3 and make sure that your metadata tells the music supervisor the name of the artist and a contact because there's nothing worse than, you know, you, you get submitted a bunch of music as a music supervisor all the time. So my method is waiting until like one day out of the week and then I'll download everything that I get and I'll listen to it. And there's nothing worse than finding a song I love for a project, going into iTunes, clicking get info and having nothing there. And then, yeah.
0: And and a a sidebar with that now for Apple users that, you know, if you have an iPhone or iPad, I've been doing is you're able to tag your songs in the, um, The files folder that they have now Uh it allows you to tag and just include like you know just who's a part of that song i've been doing it a lot and it's been working so
1: the more information that you can and like embed in a file the better you know the songwriter splits if you can put in the comment section put the pro the ipi the publisher like as much information as you can fit. You can even like put in descriptive words like the BPM or the genre or even lyrics. Um, as much information as you can, because like a lot of people will integrate everything into iTunes and then do searches using those words in iTunes. And if your song has that stuff embedded, it's going to come up in a search in iTunes. Um, so make sure that as much information is embedded in the track file as you can. Um, And then obviously, you want to send like a high res file, but you don't want it to be too big. So like a high res mp3 is ideal. Um, If you're going to send attachments, my personal preference is to get like um, a SoundCloud link, even if it's a private SoundCloud link, so that I can take my time and peruse what you have and then get back to you. And then I can ask for specific songs. Um, I work off of like really limited bandwidth, so I can't download everything that I get all the time. Um, So like Dropbox or Box.com or WeTransfer, even Google Drive, sending everything in one folder, or if you want to send a Spotify or a SoundCloud, just keeping it like really, really concise. Um, I've had artists submit tracks where they send like 10 songs, in one email i've even had artists send one song attached to an email and send me like 15 different emails and every one is just a song jesus christ i just deleted them because i don't have time to it it takes like 10 minutes i i don't have those 10 minutes you know so just to make it easy like that's actually kind of like a an ethos that Assemble Sound has in general. We want to be easy to work with. We want it to be easy on the artist side for them to have like a streamlined way of sending music, um, finding out when their songs have been added or pitched on playlists, just making it like an easy interface for the artist, And then obviously like just as equally easy for the client, like easy to work with us, easy to navigate our website. So I think that that's like a good rule of thumb for artists submitting to supervisors is you want to make it as easy as possible. You don't want to make it difficult for them. You don't want them to have to spend time searching for your information to contact you. It's just, you know, it's not going to work out in your favor. Unfortunately for us um, on both sides of the fence, it's a really, really saturated market and music supervisors and then not just the music supervisors but the producers and the editors and the directors they're getting pitched so much music they're not going to spend time trying to like dig information because unfortunately um like okay we we were talking about this earlier right i had uh, nba finals are coming up and my um, contact at espn hit me up and she was like hey do you have any hip-hop with lyrical um themes like champion play to win <laughs> and you say yes name tag has an
0: entire project
1: uh, <laughs> like no joke 75 <laughs> percent maybe even 80 percent of the playlist <laughs> that i said was your music but um
0: thank you yeah
1: but you know so it's just like i i'm not gonna send her um a bunch of like crap and hope that it sticks i'm gonna send her exactly what she asked for um because it works on both sides right like for me if a client comes to me and they're like, Hey, do you have any like Gothic country? I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to send 10 songs that, maybe our gothic or maybe our country, because that's going to be a waste of her time to download and listen. And then she's going to be annoyed that I sent her a bunch of stuff that wasn't what she asked for. And then she's probably not going to hit me up the next time she gets a search because I just caused more work for her and it wasn't, and it didn't work out. So just like I have to be really careful what I send to my clients, um, artists should be really careful what they're actually pitching to their music supervisors.
0: Correct. That makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah. And how. Um, Also, this is just like reminding me of this, something really important too, is if you wanted to approach creating a cover or remixing a song, do your research because you don't want to cover an artist that, like if your goal is sync licensing, you don't want to cover an artist who doesn't approve sync. Like the Japan Droids, they're a really well-known indie artist who just are known for not approving syncs. I had a local artist send me a cover of a Japan droid song. The cover was cool. I think it got a lot of plays on um, Spotify or on SoundCloud, but nobody's ever going to license that song because they can never clear the publishing because the Japan droids don't license. So if you wanted to attack like a remix or a cover for sync purposes, uh, make sure you're not sending music supervisors stuff that the publishing can never clear for.
0: So does that apply to if you're using that same exact, instrumental or is this just a different you know a similar sounding track to that and you're just pretty much like just covering the same exact lyrics
1: yeah only if you're doing like a a, a rearrangement of an original okay. song so like sampling is a little bit different yeah. um uh, but if you wanted to like word for word lyric for lyric like recreate an uh an older song Um, Oh, okay. For sync, yeah. Or if you even wanted to, like, take the stems from that original song and remix it, just make sure if your intention is for sync, make sure it's, like, a publishing-friendly sync artist, you know? You don't want to um, try to work on, like, a Beatles song. because. yeah. Beatles are unaffordable. So, let me go
0: back and do this Prince record. Yeah.
1: No. Wait a minute. I mean, (laughs) it might sound really dope and your friends will probably really like it, but it's not, you know, it just depends on what your intention is. And what you were saying brings up a really good point, too. You were talking earlier about like the newest um, project that you put out and how it sounded a little bit different, but it had a bigger picture behind it. Um, I think that it's important. If you like are trying to be a middle class musician like we talked about, it's like one of those things where you have to balance like for your own mindfulness right for your own like conscience you gotta you gotta have that balance where what you're creating you have an area you have a space in your mind where you're creating for the art you're creating for yourself for your creative outlook you know for for you and then balance that with creating for you know, your career. And I, I don't think that those are always the same. Sometimes, you know, uh, maybe there's a day or a week that like, you're just in the zone. And you want to just like write for a specific like type of project or a specifically like, genre of media, like you've been playing a lot of Call of Duty. And you're inspired by like the score aspects of the music that they use. And you want to like write for that. But that's not on brand with what you put out there maybe it's not what you want to like release as part of your discography but you know you do a little bit of both and you create that balance because if you do too much of one or too much of the other you won't be successful in either
0: it just registered when you just said that because that just reminded me i said when i get her on the podcast i gotta mention that to her because that's exactly how the ep came about and it's because of you. You mentioned the, um, at the time where you said where they're looking for, you know, a lot of my clients are looking for a lose yourself type of track with a yeah. slow build-up, menacing like, you know, the Eminem uh, 8 Mile soundtrack. And I said, okay. I went. I talked to Black Beethoven. I said, hey, she's looking for a track like this. We can get it done. Do you have any instrumentals like this? So we just, you know, played a batch of beats. And that's how we found Klein. And I said, okay, uh, give me about a month. <laughs> so I took about <laughs> a month because I was working on other material. So it took me about a month. I got it done. And then, next, you know, he was like, Well, I got more. He ended up sending me another, like, an entire, it had to be like two batches worth of beats that I went through that were all along those same lines. So I just, I locked on in. there's the project. Hello. Yeah. Here.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. That's really, really, really Which cool. Which
0: is also available on all streaming platforms Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, wherever you can get it. So just had to add a quick plug that.
1: So low key. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. My last question that I wanted to ask because we talked about it earlier. Obviously, a middle class uh, musician. Um. Pretty much. How to do? You, is that possible with hip hop through sync licensing? Because I hear it a lot on podcasts discussing, uh, music licensing and then how it works as far as more like pop artists, country, some R and B. But when it comes to hip hop, it's a little different. So like, is that? Is it? What are the odds of a, a hip hop artist? sustaining a career in sync licensing?
1: I mean, I don't know about, like, sustaining your career entirely in sync licensing as opposed, like, specifically an artist of that genre, as opposed to somebody who, like, writes for an extreme music and who's literally putting together, like, corporate folk jingles all day long. You know what I mean? Like they're going to sustain their career entirely on sync licensing because that's like sync licensing gold and you can't get enough of that. With hip-hop, it's a little bit different because it's a little bit more challenging to license a hip-hop track because of sampling Um, because a lot of music supervisors are afraid of hip-hop and that's because they're afraid that there are uncleared samples that won't get licensed. Um, So even if you go through the proper legal channels to sample a piece of music in your new master. Um, You would have to get like a mechanical license, I believe, if you want to like distribute it for streaming purposes. But what you're doing in going through those proper channels is you're allotting a certain percentage of your song owned by that master owner so let's say you know it just happened what was it like Tom Petty and Sam Smith right where Tom Petty ended up it's not a hip-hop track but it's a good example of a sample um, (laughs) where it wasn't credited and it turned out that at the end of the day Tom Petty legally had rights to like 12 percent of a song so to bring it back to sync licensing if I wanted to use that song I would have to contact Sam Smith Master, Sam Smith Publishing, get a quote for you know the majority percentage of the song, and then I would also have to clear that 12% through the Tom Petty channels. Um, now that's going to increase the amount that I'm going to pay significantly because Tom Petty, the sampled owner, is very very like expensive sync. So. For hip hop, it's so heavily sampled, traditionally, that a music supervisor who's working with a specific budget, they're gonna take that song, but now all of a sudden that song is gonna cost so much more money because they have to pay for the sample too. Because if you're licensing the song, even if the artist went through the proper channels to use the sample for their purposes, sync purposes are totally different. So you also have to clear that sample, which usually makes a song totally unaffordable. Um, So traditionally, supervisors have shied away. But what Assemble Sound does is because we operate as what's called in the industry a one-stop shop, which means the artists that work with us, they own 100% of the rights to both their masters and their publishing. So I don't have to go through um, a publishing owner and get permission. I can approve on both sides because my contract with the artists is that they own both sides and I'm going on their behalf. Um, So we only work with sample-free hip-hop and that has... Somehow garnered us a reputation in the licensing world and the music supervisor world as repping like one of the biggest catalogs of sync friendly sample free hip hop, which is cool because nobody's ever really targeted that genre before, which like is so stupid to me because it's a genre that could be really great for sync that a lot of people haven't messed with. And now it can be available because it's specifically sample-free. So if you were a hip-hop artist that really wanted to get into sync licensing, make sure you're creating original beats. Make sure that your producers aren't sneaking uncleared samples or even cleared samples. Because if you have an entirely sample-free record, we can start pitching that for sync licensing. One issue, though, I will say with hip-hop, and I think another reason why like... It, separate from the sample issue it's difficult to sync is because a lot of times hip-hop will have like one note not necessarily like one beat but just like one it stays on one page the whole entire time and then you introduce lyrics and that kind of like takes it into peaks and valleys you know what i mean it like builds it it takes away it ramps up it's, it's a lot right. it's done with the, the the lyrical and the vocal element if you have a, a hip-hop track without like the instrumental version of it and it still has like a beginning a middle and an end like it starts maybe slow and then it has like a crescendo a big climax point and then it comes back down like those are the type of songs that are easy to sing because it's sample free and it has a beginning a middle and an end and you'll notice like pop structure beginning middle end right pre-chorus hook right you know it has like a
0: Not always the same in hip hop. Sometimes you just come in rapping. So yeah. So (laughs)
1: if you want to create, uh, you know, rap or hip hop for sync, be mindful of that because that's going to be, you know, there. uh, Please send me music that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's simple as that. Yeah. it actually
0: can help you write better songs oh, it's helped me It yeah. definitely helped me so
1: yeah yeah totally totally and i can't wait to call you and tell you that one of those songs is gonna get used for uh nba final spot because Ooh. man if, if it doesn't <laughs> oh, i'm gonna boy. like i'm gonna quit my job <laughs> if oh it boy yeah
0: <laughs> oh boy so one last time um because I'm, I'm going to put this in the description as well, okay. but just so, like, the people listening, you know, a lot of people don't like to check the description. Of course. Um, Just drop your social media handles, the website on how they can reach you, and even if you don't mind including the email.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the people who – um Aren't reading the descriptions are probably the same people that don't put metadata on their yep, tracks, so we don't need to damn worry right. about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you can find everything. Assemble Sound is at Assemble Sound Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, and then if you're interested in learning more about sync licensing specifically with Assemble Sound or just music supervision in general, I can be reached at um via email it's nicole at assemblesound.com n-i-c-o-l-e at assemblesound.com no wait this don't put is... an h in my name
0: <laughs> this is such a very informative episode i appreciate you, yeah. for you taking the time just to even drop these gems on a lot of these artists that i've been trying to explain this to but they wouldn't listen to me Cause it's not my field, so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go get. I'm going to get the big shots out here, so they can explain and maybe they have a better understanding. So thank well, you, I, I certainly appreciate it's it. Yeah, it.
1: it's my pleasure. I'm just, I'm happy to be a part of it. So thank you for reaching out to me.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. I'll, I'll edit this tonight and I'll have it to you. I should have this up. I'm not gonna give it a date because they're have But wait a minute, he uploaded this win, yeah. so I'm gonna have it to you. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna have it yeah. up soon.
1: Whenever you edit it, send it to me because I'll, I'll, uh, share it on all the Assemble socials too.
0: Thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, no no worries, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Likewise, yeah. Let me live by my dream. Let me live out this what I intended to be. If you doubt of me, then I have problems. See what my success is not what you expect to be. But I'ma live out my dream, so let me live out my dream. Let me live.